0: Are you an HR department of one trying to figure out how to balance task and strategy while keeping up with changes in regulatory compliance? Do you need a fresh outlook on old topics? Then stop what you're doing grab your coffee and get
1: ready to recharge. If you have people, you have problems to solve and things to do. Your host is Brenda Neckvottle, a 20-year human resource professional
0: ready to explore the HR industry with veterans of business and life with fresh eyes and new ideas. Learn about the rapidly evolving changes in employment law around the country as well as new tactics to deploy and build engagement in your workforce. If you're looking to implement new practices to make your job easier in HR, then this podcast is for you.
2: Hello there, and welcome to the Best Practices and Human Resources podcast. It is yet another episode in another week, and this is, an, this is, an, every time I say we have an epic episode, I always seem to find that we, we any up one more level each time, and that's really kind of the goal, to be honest with you, but this week, we've got some, we got. Three impressive guests on this show today. So um, if this is your first time listening in, thank you so much. This is awesome. I'm excited that you guys are here. Um, you're going to be blown out of the water by this episode. I know. I, I still can't believe that I've actually recorded this, <laughs> to be honest with you, and, and how it all went about, and it's just been amazing. And for those of you who are returning time and time again, you guys just absolutely rock. Love you guys for coming back each and every single time. Um, can't, cannot do this show without you. Uh, this show actually has been <clears throat> uh, nominated actually for three business awards, one of which we've won, and we are waiting the results of the other two. So, um, guys, like I said, can't happen without you. So, really, truly appreciate it. And I'm here to help share with you the what and how in human resources because I'm in the human business. And that means that there's a greater number of dynamics in the workplace to balance and manage. Most importantly, today we're going to be talking about, um, I don't have poster updates for you today. And I apologize for that. We will catch that on the next episode. Um, I'm actually out and about, running around, uh, traveling the country. Uh, Yes, I'm actually traveling, even though the Rona is out there. So uh, I had to travel out for a very important event that just could not be missed. Um, So we do have employment law changes across the nation, and I'm going to share with you later in the show where you can get access to these. Today's main topic is how to stay up when you're down with three amazing guests, Mark Victor Hansen, who is one of the predominant and and most prolific uh, book writers ever known to man. You may have heard of him. Uh, he's on Fox News and as a commentator, and he's also one of the major co-authors uh, and Guinness Book Record holder, to be honest with you, for Chicken Soup for the Soul. We have Mitzi Purdue, who's also on. She's the widow of Frank Purdue of Purdue Chicken, and the daughter of Sheridan Hotels, uh, the founder of Sheridan Hotels. And Preston Weeks, who's just absolutely awesome, total car nut, uh, entrepreneur, very, very talented entrepreneur in his own right. And uh, these three have come together to write a book called How to Stay Up When You're Down. <clears throat> and uh, we're going to be talking about that as well. Um, we are going to go ahead and just because this is an extra long interview. Usually these interviews don't go this long. We're actually going to forego the back third of the show just simply because I want you guys to hear everything that's said. And and it's just absolutely great. So um, summer vacation, we're truncating the show one more time. And then we'll be back to our regular programming next week. But, um, yeah, this is just going to be absolutely impressive. So, folks, before I go on, the information that is available through this podcast is, in fact, for informational purposes only and not for the purpose of providing any form of legal advice. You should contact your attorney to obtain legal advice with respect to any particular issues that you're having. If you do not have an employment attorney, go ahead and reach out to me, and I'd be able to uh, go ahead and refer one to you through our affiliates program and our friends over in Jackson Lewis. Okay, so... Plan a lot of changes and headlines that are happening across the nation. Um, Senate Republicans have proposed a bill to shield employers from COVID-19 related lawsuits. And this, these links, I'm going to tell you afterwards where you can find these things. And I thought, You know what? Delay that. I'm going to tell you right now. If you go to the bestpractices.org website, you click on the podcast link, you're actually going to see where you can access all of these on a weekly basis. So when I call them out. For the current episode, you'll be able to go over and click over and link and read up on these things. Um, I also get a lot more that I post in the membership, uh, in the actual member resource page, uh, part of that program. And I usually have about like uh, anywhere between 50 to 100 notifications that I get on a regular basis. So I post that information. So if you're interested in that, um, you know, hit us up and we'll be happy to go ahead and share that with you. Uh, The Department of Labor has released the much-anticipated electronic disclosure, safe harbor final rules for retirement plans in 2020. Also, they used an executive order that has created a rebuttal presumption for COVID-19 workers' compensation claims in the state of Connecticut. Connecticut, holy cow, wasn't going to come out. Over in California, it looks like uh, Cal OSHA will be issuing COVID-19 citations in the very near future. And they have also opened what is called the Employer's Playbook for a Safe Reopening. Um, There's also some information on embracing a new normal and what are some of the COVID-19 reporting requirements that are coming down the pipe for California. Also, Oakland has passed the right of reemployment ordinance impacting hospitality, restaurant, event center, and travel-related employers as well. Over in Colorado, Colorado has enacted the public health emergency whistleblower law that are protecting uh, COVID-19 workplace COPs. Over in Connecticut, also, they've created a rebuttal presumption that COVID infection was a work-related for the first months of the pandemic. And then Connecticut also has a mandatory self-quarantine executive order, and there's five things that employers should know about it specifically. D.C. Washington, D.C. has also expanded the face mask requirement, which includes a mandate for employer-provided masks. Over in Georgia, the Department of Labor revises employers' obligation for filling partial unemployment claims. Wow, it just isn't going to come out today. Over in Illinois, the Department of Human Rights publishes uh, their FAQs on Workplace Transparency Act and what the reporting mandate is. Over in Massachusetts, they have issued stronger travel restrictions, so you you got employees traveling in and out of the state. You're going to want to need to know what that is. Over in New Jersey, finally, the last one for today, they have actually worked to address the rising use of e-discovery with Safe Harbor for inadvertent disclosures. Okay, so hang in there because the next segment is just going to – it's an awesome, awesome segment. Cannot wait for you guys to hear it. Three amazing, remarkable people, and uh, we're going to get to that in just a few minutes.
1: There are approximately 2,500 members of the U.S. Special Operations community who transition out of active duty military service every single year. The Honor Foundation's dedicated its mission to serving these elite individuals on their journey to prepare for life once they take off the uniform. In the past few years, we've begun our own journey to reach this number, launching three physical campuses in San Diego, California, Virginia Beach, Virginia, and near Wilmington, North Carolina along with a virtual campus to reach members of the community anywhere on the planet. I spent 26 years in the Special Operations community as a SEAL. I graduated from THS program, I served on the board of directors, and now I'm proud to lead this organization into the future to continue assisting these transitioning service members and their families. Our dedicated team, our world-class program, and our incredible tribes of supporters are standing by to help THF alumni and future fellows and are committed to providing the best possible support system and resources to better serve this community. Our vision for the Honor Foundation is clear, to impact every transitioning service member from the U.S. Special Operations Enterprise through our programs and support, and to be a catalyst for overhauling the entire DOD transition program. It's a big task, but the community deserves it, and we're driving full steam ahead to make this a reality. If you've been inspired with what the honor foundation has done in the last five years i welcome you all to join us as we craft the next chapter in defining what it means to serve others with honor for life
2: today is a, is already off to an amazing start <laughs> this is our earlier conversation uh, first time ever on the show, we've got not one, not two, but we've got three amazing guests, and I mean, like I'm gobsmacked <laughs> <laughs> right now <laughs> as to who we have. So I'm going to go ahead and go round the, round the world here. We're going to start down in, down in the lower left. So we got Preston Weeks. Preston, welcome to the show. Preston hey. is one of three. Who've collaborated on this amazing book called *How to Be Up and Down Times*? We have Mark Victor Hansen, who has been the prolific co-author, at just author period, of over 300 books. I swear, the man blinks, and, he, and a book comes out of him. Um, you know, part of the chickens, I uh, think the kickoff for the uh, chicken soup for the soul. And then we also have Mitzi Purdue, um, who is her also. Has her own amazing legacy as uh, being the daughter of founders of the Sheridan Hotel and uh, the supportive wife and now widow of Purdue Chicken.
3: Holy cow! How are you guys? Holy chicken! Holy
0: chicken! chicken, (laughs) Yeah, yeah,
3: none of this cow stuff. We like chicken.
2: (laughs) I think we may have done it. At an- least two of us
3: here really think chicken's the way to go.
2: <laughs> We've just done an innocent plug for Chick-fil-A.
0: <laughs> Eat more chicken. <laughs>
2: <laughs> How are you guys? Thank you so much for being here.
0: We're el- On behalf of all of us, I'll just say we're elated. How's that?
2: Oh, that's very sweet of you. Thank you so much. Well, the reason why we, I wanted you, I've invited you guys here and I'm literally, it took me two weeks to like come up off of the ground, realizing that y'all said yes, um, is the fact that you each have a very unique business story. And I just, you know, those stories, like I'm already crying, I'm laughing so hard. Um, those business stories are just amazing. And, and people need to hear because, you know, they see wild success, and, you know, we know from, we know from being in the business side and then the experience side that success never comes in a straight line, ever, and it's the same thing with HR. So, actually, I'm going to kick it off briefly with Preston, since Preston was the one that originally reached out to me, and I asked him, I'm like, how did you even, like, connect with me, (laughs) and here we are. So, how are you, Preston? (laughs)
4: I'm doing so fantastic today. It's so great to be here on your show and to talk to you and to uh, uh, be here to uh, speak with your viewers. And I mean, it's just been a great week and, and we're excited to get things launched. We've got a lot of great things going. We've got the all-star team here from How to Be Up and Down Times, which I mean, I've, I've worked with both of these amazing people and it's, they are just so, so, so much fun. And they're an inspiration and a wealth of knowledge, and so you know I, I think it's going to be a great show.
2: Oh, that's awesome! Thank you so much. And Mark,
0: I to say that,
2: yeah, <laughs> that's all right. And Mark, welcome for you.
0: <laughs> I couldn't resist it. Just we no, think couldn't. the world. Preston is a young aspirational genius who's done brilliant in other things, but we're about to make the world work with, you know. <laughs> We get a force multiplier in Mitzi and, and I just come up with these crazy visions. She okays them. And then we're going to let Preston do the work. I think exactly. it's jar team. Don't yeah, you just, think? Couldn't do Couldn't be better. Just couldn't. We nailed it. <laughs>
2: That's what you call delegation.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, you either delegate or you stagnate in human relations. And then, and then it, it, with the beauty of Preston is that he also knows how to automate because he even owns a company called Operation X and he's, where, where I blink and do books, he blinks and gets stuff done electronically, and it's amazing.
2: Oh, that's awesome. So thank you for being here. And Mitzi, thank you so much. I've well, had
0: it's a, a joy to be here.
3: Thank joy you. to be in the present company.
2: Oh, wonderful. Thank you, guys. <clears throat> okay, so who wants to go first with the first, <laughs> with the first question? Um, and yeah, I know. It's like you have to point to somebody. It's almost like this old Brady Bunch thing going on right now.
3: And um, I guess I have to point that way to to have it reach Mark.
2: That's right. Cause you have to go the opposite it's like sailing. You have to turn the rudder the opposite direction. Mark. Mark Mark would be down.
3: <laughs> Mark would be down.
2: Ah. There you go.
0: <laughs> it's a tag team here.
2: <laughs> so oh, Mark. Yes. I don't think I've ever met anybody who has had more no's coming at them. Before massive success than you, and when I say massive success, you've been on the New York Times best-selling list fifty-six times,
0: fifty-nine times number one. That's fifty-nine I'm times the only one. According, somebody asked me, "Do you really have those Guinness Book of Records?" Yes, I took them and I put them on Facebook. <laughs> like I didn't print those. I mean, this is anyhow. But it, I've gotten so many no's, but I started selling when I was only nine years old because I wanted desperately wanted a bicycle. My parents were lovely Danish immigrants, and I didn't get that they couldn't afford a 7,000 bicycle. <laughs> nine years old, what do you know, right? Yeah. So I'm reading a Boy Scout Life magazine that said you can sell greeting cards and consignment. I And consignment means I'd come up to a beautiful woman like you, and I'd say, I'm earning my own bicycle. Would you like to invest in one box of Christmas cards or two? And and I sold 376 bucks in one month. It came number one, got an award. I ended up getting the bicycle and my dad took half the money in college fund. But just one other thing. <laughs> in, in, in the other book that we've written, it's called Ask the Bridge yes. from Dreams Your Destiny, which is a rocket bestseller I wrote with my wife. We interviewed Peter Guber and Peter Guber only 50 Academy Awards, Rocky, Batman, Rain Man, on and on. He owns two little sports teams, the Golden State Warriors and the Dodgers. So he hadn't done very much with his life. Oh, no, not no he, he might succeed. We'll get him on your show if you want. Oh, boy,
5: yes. Peter's
0: a dear friend, and Peter says, you are so dyslexic, Mark. I'm not dyslexic at all. But he said, you're so dyslexic, you think no means on. <laughs>
2: So speaking of dyslexic, I actually am dyslexic, and I, I'll just a little sidebar here because I know you guys will appreciate this. Well, the first time I had to actually have a serious call with my uh, director of HR, I, tra- I I mushed my words up all the time. Like I used to, I used to, cre- I created apparently in third grade a, a new last name for myself, and I didn't even realize <laughs> I did it. And my parents were like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "I'm signing my name on my times tables. Why?" And um, so I was on the phone and we got a workers' compensation and I had never done one before. And I get on and I, and I told the director, I said, yeah, I said, he said, what well, seems to be the problem? I said, well, apparently he has tunnel carpal syndrome. And he goes, what? And he says, well, what, yeah, he has tunnel carpal syndrome. And he starts laughing. And I'm thinking why are you laughing? This is the guy's in pain. This is like a serious thing. He's going to have to go in for, for, he's like, okay, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. He's like, now tell me what's going on. So I was starting going through it again. He's like, okay, so you sure it's the condition? I said, yeah, that's what's on the, on the sheet. It says tunnel carpal syndrome. He just dropped the phone. He starts laughing. Now I'm getting mad because here I am, you know, we, we love our people. And, um, and he says, do you actually hear what you're saying? And I'm like, oh no, what am I saying? And he says, say it again. And I said it again. And he says, say it backwards and I said, carpal tunnel syndrome he goes yes <laughs> that's what it is so but he
0: should be thankful you gave him a laugh because everyone needs laugh we need we <laughs> you know we did chicken soup for the surviving soul we discovered with all the oncologists you need 50 pieces of humor a day to get to your interrupters called the endorphin it's a very high system but to make yourself healthy and well your show is the best i gotta <laughs> tell you everybody in hr needs to listen to you
2: well, buckle up, everybody, because your endorphins are going to go out of the roof, I can tell right now. <laughs> so so you had all these no's. You were a prolific entrepreneur at the age of nine and went to school. How? So t- short, the, the short history of it, you, you wrote this phenomenal book. It finally gets picked up. But after how many rejections did you get?
0: we got 144 people literally, like I told you earlier, said, hit the road, Jack, because <laughs> you not, not a very nice guy. Jack's a great guy. I just can't resist because you're so full of ebulence. Isn't that a good word?
2: That is a great See, blink, there's a new book.
0: There you go. See, the book about ebulence. Anyhow, so the point is, is that uh, Jack and I, you know, Jack is more the inside guy. I'm the outside guy, the marketing sales guy, and... and uh, we did seminars and we did media every day. But what I really did is I interviewed the 101 best-selling fiction, nonfiction authors like Scott Peck, who's, you know, uh, Mitzi and I are close for, uh, to his thinking. Anyhow, he wrote a road to less travel, 58 weeks. We whited out his name, put Mark and Jack and chicken soup and put it on the mirror at my office, Jack's office, my home, Jack's home. And that's what HR people need to do. They got to understand the mind is visual. So if you can see the end result from the beginning, you're going to get there. And, yes. and you got to see how many people you're going to employ. How are you going to employ? How are you going to get them to use their biceps and triceps, metaphorically speaking and, yes. and mentally speaking? And yeah. Mitzi can talk to that better than anybody because, I mean, I, I only had a few employees. She's got, I think, 20,000. Is that correct at Purdue?
3: Per, Purdue has, I think it's 21,000 now. 21, but at the time of Frank's death, it was 20,000.
2: Wow. Yeah, that's a workforce. <clears throat> that's a workforce. So, So, yeah. How did you, Mark? How did you ad- adapt to this sudden surge in business? I mean, you had the next thing you know, you had this amazing book, and I remember my cousins reading it, and and just like, oh my gosh, this is the best thing ever, and it
0: just,
2: you know,
0: we we went from a million and a half in a year and a half to five million, and to ten million, to uh, fifteen million a year for three years. We had had uh, fifteen of the top fifty on USA Today. And, and that's because we did marketing that no one else has ever done before. And it scared the crap out of my um, publisher. Oops, I guess I, I shouldn't have said that. Oh, it's an
2: HR neutral moment. You're fine.
0: He had 186 uh, employees and, and we had to go from one shift to two shifts to three shifts. And I was down there cheering them on and encouraging them and saying, here's how this is helping. I mean, you got people that are dying of cancer that are suddenly reading this book and not getting cancer. We have people that are have not going to finish college. And I did chicken soup at the college. So... Because it was atrocious to me when I talked to 20,000 kids at at, uh, Ball State University that the president said only one in four is going to graduate. And I go, sorry, one in 10 is going to matriculate. They matriculate, but to graduate, only one in in 10 is going to graduate. And I thought, that's not okay. I mean, I I can talk for Preston and, and Mitzi and myself on this one. I think I've talked to them enough we, none of us ever even thought about not graduating. Did you, even though you're dyslexic, didn't you plan on graduating? That was like a give me, right?
2: I actually took the 20 year route. I wasn't, (laughs) I wasn't formally diagnosed until I was 32. So I had to learn how to completely read Yesterday. Yeah. So when I reread, when I, when I got to that point, I went from a CDF student to here I am, 32 years old. I went back to school in 2005. I know you're going to do the math Mark. And, um, And then I graduated magna cum laude with my bachelor's and pursued my master's degree and got my MBA. And then, you know, went right in and just now my clients refer to me as the HR force of nature now. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, but that's, that's my story. It wasn't, it was, it was not an easy path at all. It was hard.
0: Nobody has an easy path. And I can guarantee you because I've I've read Mitzi's books on on her and I, I love Frank Perdue. I mean, he says, this is a chicken, he take a. I want her to tell tell Mitzi if you would please about how he did the jet engine to burn off the hairs of a chicken because he. Please.
3: Okay, Frank was the ultimate perfectionist, and he wanted his chickens to have the breast be as absolutely beautiful as his bald head, as in <laughs> no hairs. And so. Yeah, you you can try picking them off one by one. You can try singeing them. Now nothing nothing was working. And then one day he was in the men's room washing his hands, and this uh, uh, with the with the uh, air dryer. Yes. He's washing his hands, and he's thinking, you know, the reason we can't get those little hairs off the breast of the chicken is because they're lying down flat after the chicken's been washed. What if we used you know a, a air yeah. But the problem is the air on your hands, you know, in the restroom doesn't have nearly the power. So he began figuring out, I wonder what else could have a big blast of air? The answer? The jet a engine. Jet engine. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's awesome.
3: So if, if and I, I, I think the whole industry does what Frank innovated with, but now you don't find, if you, if you're buying chicken, you're you're most likely not likely to find little hairs nope. on the breast anymore because they knew how to get rid of them.
2: Nope. I'm sitting here thinking through every chicken I bought out of Purdue and I have yet to see a little tiny hair now that I think about it.
3: Little big hairs coming out the chicken. <laughs> well they're feathers yes and then there are hairs and the hairs are you know the little tiny hair like follicle By things. Nice. Uh, But Frank hated them and thought that they weren't cosmetic or beautiful or attractive. And he wanted the buyer to have the best eating experience possible. So let's get rid of those things.
2: Wow. That's amazing. Okay. So you, Mitzi, let's stay with you for a quick second. The next, next, you're up Preston. So buckle up, hang on. (laughs) But um, you, two mega empires, huge empires. So people, if they don't know your background, You are, you know, the, you were the supportive wife and and now the widow of Purdue, Frank Purdue. And then you are also the daughter of, founder of Sheridan Hotels.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's been a pretty great ride. But, you know, as a child, I was always curious how father was so successful, how he went from no employees to 20,000. And in the end, I think it's an HR story because he always said the same thing that Frank said, which was the entire success of the Sheraton Hotel chain was the people who worked there. Yes. And then now to my mind, it's a little girl growing up. Okay, great. The, but how did you get them to go the extra mile and be so committed and to stay with you for life? And I have a tiny story about that, how he did it. And it's something that I think applies today because the story that I want to share with you, it goes back to the time of the great depression, which had a lot of things that are sort of like today, like unemployment and stress and worry. And well, so how did he make a success in the hotel business when absolutely everybody in the world was running away from the hotel industry? And his answer was, when he'd take over a hotel, the first thing he'd do when he owned the hotel, when he'd taken possession, would be he'd invite all the employees into the hotel ballroom And there could easily be 400, 800 people in the ballroom. And he knew every one of them is just utterly demoralized because they knew that if, if this new guy, the new owner was going to clean house and maybe bring in his friends and relatives, that they're probably going to be fired. And with 25% unemployment, they're not going to find another job. It's the bread line. Yeah. Well, father knew that and he knew, he knew what they were thinking and further He knew that they probably weren't going to hear a word he said until he eased the pain of fear. And so the first words out of his mouth in every hotel that he took over would always be, I want every one of you to keep your job. And I want you to keep your job because I know that you know this hotel better than anybody else in the world. I know that you know your job better than anybody else. And my job is to give you the resources and the encouragement to show the world how good you are, because you're going to see in a matter of months, this is going to be the most popular hotel in the city. It's going to be the most financially sound. It's going to be an example to other other people in the city that things can turn around and get better.
2: Mm.
3: And that's part one of the story. There is a part two, which is the next day, all the employees would come in, and they'd see cavalcades of plumbers, electricians, decorators coming in to refurbish the hotel, which you'd expect because of a hotel that's been on the edge of bankruptcy, you know, has right. gone to seed. But here's what the employees saw. All these people who were refurbishing the hotel, they never went to the areas that the public would see. The first money father ever spent on any hotel was on the employee lounges the employee dining rooms lockers nice. showers the places the public would never see and i asked father why did you what why didn't you put money in places that would get you money back right off and his answer was people have a compulsion to live up to or down to your expectations yes, yes. And, if, and if you demonstrate to them how important they are to you uh it 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 leads into something else that Father used to say, which is a leader's job is to give people a better vision of themselves.
2: Yep. I love that. Oh, my gosh. I absolutely love that. My grandfather was a, my grandparents had the number one true value hardware store in the United States in Hawaii for over 10 years. I think it was like 15 year run that they had in Hawaii. And, um, the one thing that my grandfather did every morning, we'll get into family business stuff is that he'd hit the ground and, and and he'd walk. My grandfather was, you know, like most men, you know, grandparents, my family's era, um, came from the depression. And, um. And he would walk the floor and everybody was like, the oh, old man's on the floor. You know, it's what we called the coconut wireless because it would just like the news would hit and ripple throughout. Yeah. The yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man's on the floor. Oh, man, Longquester's is on the floor. Make sure you're done. Know. And he'd get to my section where I was working and, and he goes, and I had six big aisles and he goes, Brenda, he says, there's four people over here that need help. And I said, like, it's like, what am I going to do? Divide myself? I said, I'm getting it to everybody as fast as I can. And, uh, and then he'd look at me and he'd wink and he'd walk away because he knew I was right in, right in tune with everything. And that man wrote, uh, every, he would write a letter to the employees, every payroll. And so every, every week, every pay period, we would get a, a letter from my grandfather
1: wow. encouraging.
2: Yeah. Talking about customer service and, you know, you know, if the guy deliberately breaks a $5 shovel, return it because he's going to come back and spend, you know, $45,000 in four days, you know, just, you know, brilliant guy. So, yeah, it's 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 pretty impressive that when you make that investment in your employees and you look back into history as to how people made investment into their employees, the outcomes don't seem to change, right? People are still people at the end of it. I love that. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Okay, Preston, right. you are surrounded by all of this now. <laughs> So help us understand a little bit more of, I know your background, but help, help everybody else kind of understand a little bit more of your background. And if you could help kick off how the project for the book came to fruition.
4: Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, a little bit about my background. So I started out, well, I've always been kind of like Mark was saying, a a salesperson and an entrepreneur ever since I was in elementary school. I used to uh, buy candies and sell them to the kids at school. You know, I'd buy a bag of candies and sell them for 25 cents each and make money when I was in like third grade. And then I got into making things. I had all these little businesses at school. Later on in my life, I had to figure out how to pay for college. And so I loved cars. I've been a car nut since I was little. Bought and sold cars. So I decided to buy and sell cars to help me pay for school. I started out with one $1,600 car and bought that, sold it, reinvested in myself and turned that into my car empire that's... Nothing, nothing quite like these guys, but I had 15 car dealerships that I owned and operated. Yeah, and, uh,
2: nothing to sneeze at.
4: Yeah, no, no, it, it was you know, it, a lot of fun and I, I love it. Now I've transitioned onto other things and been able to work alongside Mark and a number of different companies and have a bunch of other fun projects and have grown that. But um, yeah, it's, you know, it's been a, a long journey and it's been a journey of learning and trying things out and going you know, transitioning from one person as myself into you know two people, into multiple people, into multiple people in multiple locations, into now my company operations X, we do outsourcing, which is kind of like the transition of maybe the next thing is you know global workforce. So I have an office in the Philippines and we do remote work and we hire employees for other companies, which is a whole nother you know interesting Yes, just and you know complications that come with that and learning again yep so yeah that's a little bit about my background
2: that's awesome so how did how did the concept for the book come about
4: so yeah so the book so actually it it was in a in the dialogue uh between us and i it was mitzi and mark were talking and mitzi initially had the idea and it was when covid had uh, kind of broke out and she had this idea to and I don't know if you even you know remember going back to this but she had this idea to uh write a book of 52 ways to keep people safe during COVID but that uh because the unfortunate situation of the world puts uh people at a legal liability to you know give uh advice that might you know jump you know one way or another on involving disease with safety and health yes so mark said hey you need to talk to her because i had a, i had another idea i said hey you know let's do uh what, what if she did 52 ways to uh, stay happy during isolation it, and so mark said hey let's get on the phone right now so we called her and then we started talking and we started collaborating and collaborating and basically uh, those collaborations evolved into how to be up and down times, which is uh, what we produced today. And it was, it was just so much fun to work with Mitzi and Mark on the book and to put it together. And it ended up kind of being a, a bunch of different uh, tips and things to help people through you know, the change of times and the change of things that's happening with your body, with your mind, with your soul. You know, those were kind of three things that we, we focused on throughout the book. And so people can, you know, like Mark was saying, strengthen that muscle, strengthen that mental muscle, strengthen your, you know, body and your mind and everything so that, you know, you can have the ability to be up and down time. So that, that was kind of the evolution of how the book came about.
3: I'd like to jump in here for a moment because what, what Preston just described is something that Frank Perdue deeply believed and acted on his whole life. And that is, that none of us is as smart as all of us. Because I'm, I'm a health writer by trade. For, since 1980, I've been writing science. I've been writing for, uh, let's see, Scripps Howard for almost 30 years, and then for genetic engineering and also for the Academy wow. of Women's Health. So I have, I have a background in writing on health and I'm qualified to do it. However, uh, the idea that I had how to keep people healthy, In the real world, uh, since we don't want to get sued, the idea wasn't good enough. But between the three of us, we've come across something absolutely fantastic. But none of us is as smart as all of us. My idea wasn't really that good, but you marry it to other ideas. And what a winner. And I've I've just recently told uh, Mark and Preston, but there's a woman I've never met from Taiwan who had one copy of it. She ordered 200 more, and now she's asking if, She thinks that it will sell in department stores in Taiwan, and she's inquiring about buying a 1,000 copies.
2: Oh, awesome.
3: So, yeah, obviously, we hit on something good, which I certainly wouldn't have on my own.
2: No, and and it kind of almost feels like you catch lightning in a bottle, kind of. Yeah, we did.
0: It's totally lightning in a bottle, and it's lightning in a bottle because the trouble is that we open up and then we close up. We open up and close up, and, and what we're saying is, hey, look, it is independently a choice in HR. It's independently a choice in our own life, whether we're going to be up and down times, because there's always going to be pulsation in the language. Mitzi and I push each other's vocabulary to the edge of the uh, thing. Love it. vicissitudes of life, you're going to have the experience. (laughs) Isn't that a good word, vicissitudes? And I don't know why it makes people laugh, but it's one of those (laughs) strange words. It's not Brenda. the word.
2: It's you. It's how you do it. It's great. <laughs> I love it. It's not. We're not laughing at you. We're laughing next to you, right?
0: <laughs> so great. So great.
2: Oh, I love that. But you know, we but you're right. We have fun
0: writing this because we want everyone to understand that. Look, we're all going to have down days and down minutes yes. and down hours and and last four months have had most of us sequestered, but it's not one of us, it's 8 billion of us. So we say, look, we'd like 8 billion people to read the book, not just because it's us, but because it'll change their attitude. And and in my, coll- in my colleague in this business, Zig Ziglar said, your attitude gives you altitude in business and life.
2: Absolutely. And it, everything that we're talking about is just, a, it's a shift in perception. It's yeah. just, it's just simply put, it's a shift in perception. And you know what, look, you know, what we do in this field, it's not easy. I mean, first off, you know, when they say it's lonely at the top, they're not joking. And all of you are independent leaders. And you know exactly what I'm referring to, but then you've got this other person that's running parallel to you. That's lonely at the top. And the reason why your HR person runs parallels, because we can't really like, you know, regurgitate and vent our issues upward because leaders are relying on us we certainly can't do it downward because that's a breach of confidentiality and you can't go side to side because you're the only one <laughs> so you really are in this spot you know and and it takes a lot to change your perception on a continuous basis because in the field of HR we're not working towards us and solving our problems, we're working towards taking on everybody else's challenges, be it a benefits change to somebody putting their hand on their person where it shouldn't, or you know, fear with what's going on, not knowing where they're gonna have a job, making sure that payroll's met. And then also something that we kind of talked a little bit offline too, is making sure that what we're doing, and especially right now it's it's challenging, it makes that we're doing it in support of the organization, in support of what the vision of the company and the apex leader and the CEO or your bosses or whatever, you know, whatever your reporting structure is, we're in that direction because we know what needs to be done. You know, I mean, when we hear that something needs to be done, I man, it rides our call to action button like you wouldn't believe. And then after that, it's now we have to struggle hard to get that buy-in from leadership but if we reverse that perception and start the conversation around what is it what is your number one business objective mr or mrs ceo now i got it now i know how i can align my efforts to support the direction that you're going in and a lot of people miss that and our training first off there is no such thing as an all-inclusive training when it comes to HR. We have to learn a lot of what we do simply by trial and fire. And um, and that comes along with the risk of, you know, feeling like you're gonna look bad if you say something that's not right <laughs> to somebody who's relying on you to be correct. So um, I was going somewhere with this and I completely lost well, it because be I could, I could it. feel good it good. coming from Mark. <laughs>
0: Uh, What what happens is the difference in HR now than ever before in history is that trial and fire, the whole world's on fire for the first time.
2: Oh my gosh, yes. We don't
0: have one fire. We got four fires. The first fire we got is COVID-19 itself, like Preston was saying. Second fire is the fear of of everything and uncertainty. And that's why we wrote, you know, how to be up and down times because you've got to be independent and what we love HR people and they got to be stronger than they've ever been. Yes. Right. Uh, the third fear is the economy because the economy is trying to bite at everybody's heels. Like Mitzi was saying articulately, yes. you know, Frank did it right. And her dad did it right. Mr. Henderson. And what he did is he was good to the employees first because yes. you know, the employees are an out picturing. They're the reflecting shadow of the leadership. And then, and then the fourth one, is we have sideways things hitting like black lives matter at a time when you go hey wait a second it's never been better than it is right now if you're awake now uh, if you're being duped by a uh, um, uh, merciless media and i'm gonna just do that generically around the whole world because you know i've been to 80 countries and, and mitzi's been about the same i think i don't know if she can tell her number but uh, you know we've both been a lot of places with a lot of leaders and, yeah. and right now, all of them are getting bit by the media everywhere. Yeah. And the, the leaders of these countries are friends of Mitzi's and mine. I, I will talk for just one second and say that we literally know these men and women are in trouble and and, and we're both in, in several um, intel groups, right? You're talking about being lonely at the top. Well, lonely at the top, the guys at the top and ladies don't exactly know what to say. And I think I'm talking for Mitzi on that. And they're, they're asking us for our input and say, What is it we can do now to overcome those four um, malaises, if you will?
2: Yep. Yeah. And and it makes sense. I mean, we're up against so much. Our nerves are afraid. And I'm convinced if we shut the media off for three days, 60% of our
3: problems will be solved. I'm so with you on that because the Buddhists say attitude is everything. And I can barely... I mean, I do watch the news, but it takes an effort of will because I know at the end of it, I'm gonna feel down. Yes.
2: Yes. I mean, the, our cell phones, this is the greatest invention on the planet and is the worst thing that has come into our lives. I mean, this thing has replaced the flashlight, but it's, uh, you know, it's just amazing. We get sucked into this. And everybody has to find a way to break free from it. And that's one of the things, now again, I'm not a fast reader, but you know, I did review this. I did get a chance to read into it quite a bit. And and I just love it because it takes simple things and it just spins it around into something that allows you to have forward motion and not constantly falling back because we've got so much that's pushing us back right
3: now.
0: By so wait, I, to, I, go ahead. I,
3: All right, I have some insight onto why the news just feels so bad to us. And first of all, yeah, how about it is? But second, uh, this comes, I, I had a TV show for eight years and my station, it was a CBS affiliate in Sacramento. My station was part of a million dollar study on what made people watch a program or what made them able easily to turn the channel. And it turns out, and this isn't just true for CBS, it's for media in general, the amount that you're upset, the amount that uh, they did this with like how much your palm, the viewer's palms would sweat, how much their heart would race. Yes. Uh, the, the tests that they did found that the more upset you are, the less able you are to turn the channel. And yes. so uh, they're highly motivated. If you're a news director, you would like things that are going to get people agitated. So yeah, just the, almost the business model is designed for yeah. something that I don't think is all that healthy for us, the consumer.
2: It isn't. I would, I would absolutely agree with you. And it's, it's one of those things that, I mean, if you look at how our workforce is right now, um, we're in, so I'm in the process of a new project working with a gentleman, his name is David Costa. He's actually going to, by the time this airs, he would have already been a, a guest on the show and he's a national authority on uh, active shooters, and and he's working with schools in Utah on teaching teachers how to deal with an active shooter, but giving them the confidence to actually disarm an active shooter. And I've seen wow. them do it. Yeah, I mean, this one woman, she just about threw this one of the trainers across the room. And it, and it's just what we're in the process of doing is we're we're de-escalating the fear, and we're we're rebuilding that confidence in the workplace for that unlikely event that we may need it. But now with what we've got going on with civil unrest right now, that chance actually kind of increases. And so, but that's what it's all about. It's, it's, we figured out that if we were, you know, and he figured it out sooner than I did. I just helped put it into words. If we deescalate the fear, we take the fear out of the equation and we increase the confidence, anything and everything is possible. And in this circumstances, that means life.
0: Let's talk about, oh, go ahead, Press. Yeah,
4: well, I had an interesting conversation with a gentleman the other day, and it was a great way to think about it with the news and what's happening. A lot of times you go, okay, we look at the news, what's good, what's bad? And he had a a reverse way of looking at it where I really love the thought. And he said, look, if you're feeling fear, if you're feeling anxiety, if you're feeling these you know, things that you don't want to feel or you're up at night or you're stressed, look at what you're consuming in your media. Look yeah. at what, you, what yes. television shows you watch and see if those shows are fear-related shows. See if they're anxiety-related television. If they're, you know, if they're shows that have that in it, then there's a good chance there's a connection there. And you yep. can re that if you're aware of it.
3: Yeah, Which brings me to one of the tips in our book, and it comes, I mean, there are a whole lot of scientists who agree with this, but I formulated it as from my niece who runs a nursing home, and she kind of summarizes what a lot of the research says, but it's absolutely essential for you to give yourself at least an hour of respite of some sort, and by respite, uh, another word for it might be escapism, but you really need your at times of great stress like this, I don't think we should underestimate the amount of stress that we're under. I mean, whether it's financial, well, the whole list, financial, health, the future of the country, just everything. This is stress. And her view, and a lot of scientists is, you have to interrupt that stress. The thing where all these, you know, adrenaline and norepinephrine and cortisol are just, the stress hormones are flooding your body. Yes. And, if you're going to thrive, you need respite Freud. Yep. My my niece tells me that that for people who are taking care of, of terminal patients, say with Alzheimer's or with Parkinson's or something similar, Lou Gehrig's, that the caregivers are a, there's a, a one in three chance that they're going to die before the person they're taking care of because stress is so harmful. Mm -hmm. So her advice to everybody and our advice is build into your life at least an hour. I mean, you you care about exercise, give yourself an hour where you deescalate the stress and ways of doing it are when you're thinking of something entirely different, like maybe a favorite movie, maybe you've got a hobby, maybe it's physical, maybe it's pumping iron, whatever it is, build into your life for the sake of your health, an hour when you when the bad things that are going on, you just escape them. Yep. Or give yourself respite from them. Go ahead, I Mark. Add
0: to it, yeah. What What happened is when I went bankrupt in 1974, I'd been building. I built the Wall Street Record Club, Botanical Gardens, Aviary. I I'm 26 years old and I'm a hot shot, or I thought I was. I was building out of plastic PVC when the Arab oil embargo hit in '74. And they said you can write checks of so bigger banks of bonds. I had to. Oh, I had to check a book at the library. How to go bankrupt by yourself? I bankrupt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm bankrupt. It's I'm on the court steps in the eastern uh, Long Island, and, and a, you know, an ambulance chasing lawyer comes up to me and uh, says, I'll, "I'll take you bankrupt for three hundred bucks." I said, "If I had three hundred dollars, I wouldn't be going bankrupt, <laughs> What are you talking about?" Anyhow. What I learned, though, is exactly what Mitzi just said. That's a long preface, I know. But what I learned was, you've got to spend an hour a day reading some positive, uplifting stuff. Now, that happens to be the zone I like to write in and have written 309 bestsellers. But you've got to read self-help action stuff that gives you a new mental attitude, a new uplift, more encouragement, more enthusiasm. Otherwise, what 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 she and, and Preston were saying correctly is the media is so negative oh. it'll make you despondent, disconsolate, depressed that you want to shoot yourself.
3: Yeah. No. Exactly. I mean that's from my experience. If if I I mean I, I make a somewhat effort to give myself a diet of no more than 15 minutes of the misery that the news is going to cause me, and so <laughs> I I really seriously try to limit yeah. the negativity that that comes into this poor little noggin. No, I,
2: I completely agree with you. I mean, there's so many different things that people can do. And, you know, in HR, this is a very feminine driven industry. And so, you know, we're, the majority of HR professionals are women. And um, so, you know, a lot of women have families, they have children, they come home after dealing with everybody else's problems, and they come home to deal with everybody else's problems. And, you know, that's one of the things that I preach Hard in this group, and just exactly what you're talking about is that you have to disconnect. I don't care when you do it, just if, if the minimum is 30 minutes a week, go do something for yourself. If it means sitting, taken from the movie, was a date night, if it just means sitting in a hotel room by yourself, drinking a diet seven up, I don't care for 30 minutes, just go do something for yourself because you can't take care of everybody else until you take care of yourself. And even mm-hmm. I've reversed a lot of things for myself as well um so but it's all about caring for yourself because if you if you even even when it's bad even if you lose your job even if all of a sudden you've burned through all your money and your 4k 1k is you know smoked out you still have to take care of yourself because it's the one thing you own outright <laughs> I'm sorry it yeah, is it's really
0: going outright but when you get fired one of the things i've been writing to is that there's 37,000 000- occupations in America and what press and, and Mitzi and I've been working on is the new ones that are virtual because we're going into an extraordinary virtuality time. Yeah. No matter what, COVID's not going to go away. It's going to be like the flu. It's going to hang on. It's But it's doesn't kill most people. We've now learned that if you get it, you're going to feel terrible. If you are, are immune, like we're teaching all the, we started out by, because t- we got a hard scientist in Mitzi. You know all the stuff you could do, and then her lawyers and my lawyers basically said, "No, no, 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 you can't go telling people that because sooner or later somebody's going to remonstrate and get sick and not do it and claim they did do it." So we said, "Okay, we'll do it. We'll do it gentle. We'll do it as a mental attitude up." <laughs> oh my you
2: god! Why are
0: laughing? Why is that funny? Because
2: you're laughing. You're making me laugh.
4: <laughs> Two, you know one thing you mentioned, and this is something that I have learned in my life where I tend to be a workaholic, I I can jump, I'm happy working. I just work all day, all night, work, 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 work. So same thing with that respite, that break that you need. You have to be incredibly intentional about it. And so like when I was running my car dealerships, I had so many things happening. I had to be super intentional about those breaks in my life. I have a family, I've got three little kids. I've got six-year-old twins and an eight-year-old. And so I would set intentional times every week. So I go, okay, I'm going to – I had the lucky opportunity. I was able to bring a kid to work with me. So I'd bring a kid to work with me one day out of the week before they were in school. And then, uh, you know, I'd go, okay, date night is going to be, you know, Saturday night. We're going to spend two hours at least, and we're going to do date night every single night. I had to be really intentional. I had to schedule it in my schedule to make sure that it happened. Yep. So I maintain that relationship with you know, my family, with my wife, with my kids. And then same thing with yourself. You have to be intentional about that reset and about that special time that you can have with yourself so that you can reboot, you can recharge. It's like you're like you saying, your battery, your phone. You yeah. know, it, it drains out when you use it. And you've got to recharge it or else it's, you know, it's going to get damaged. It's like if you drain a battery down all the way, the batteries don't last as long. And if you keep filling up your battery, we're kind of like that, a battery, you know, we keep going and we keep operating and we need to recharge ourselves. And if you take that time and you're really intentional about it, you schedule it or you plan it then it actually happens. And if you don't often, it can slip by.
2: So this past weekend, um, well, now that we're recording it, it was a little while ago by the time this airs, but I did, uh, talk, we had Tom Shea on, he's a U.S. Navy SEAL, and um, he recently wrote a, a new book, um, <clears throat> and part of what he, so this one, he so his first book was Unbreakable, and now this. Uh, oh, the, what a book. Yeah, great book, wasn't it? Yeah. It, yeah, loved it. And so the new book is actually called Three Simple Things Leading During Chaos, and part of what he did, he, he does this 24 hour walk and then he did a, a session and I participated in where um, it was called the unbreakable 48 where every, so within a 48 hour time period, this is the first time I've ever done a physical endurance challenge at all. We would get up every four hours and move for one hour within 48 hours. So every 12 o'clock, four o'clock and eight o'clock within 48 hours, we would move for one hour. And the, and Tom was a former BUDS instructor, so all I kept hearing in my head was the question that he continuously posed, and that is, what would happen, what would your life be like if you didn't give up? So my two goals were, number one, to finish, and number two, to do it without complaining once. Woo! Yeah, and that's controlling a lot of internal dialogue. And then there's other, you know, stuff that he talks about that he gets you into the conversation because... His philosophy is that when you're in the physical space, when you're physically moving, you 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 tend to work through things. And so it was really interesting. Now, that was just last Sunday and I was sore. I was very, very, very sore when I got done. I was sore one third of the way into it and I just kept going. And uh, But Monday, I got up and I walked for 30 minutes. Yesterday, I got up and walked for an hour and today I'm going to do it again. And not because I'm putting it in, it's because I hit that reset. My, my reset button was hit hard. And that was, the, that was one of the goals of it. And so, you know, you have to reset. That's the whole point. You have to hit that reset button because nothing's gonna change unless you put some form of a disruptor in. Be it, you know, reading something influential like this, like, you know, with your new book, right? There it is. Gotta be up and down times. Doing something like that, doing something physical. If you don't reset, I mean, we had a big reset as a world. It was more like a wake-up call and, you know, everything that we're going through right now. But if you don't do something to reset your environment, you're always going to be where you are.
0: Exactly why we wrote this book is we said, look, we're in the great, you know, the yin and yang. Crisis always eats opportunity. Now we're the biggest crisis. We get the biggest opportunity and yes. everyone's got to hit the reset button, hit the yes. pivot button, hit the reinvent themselves button. And it doesn't matter whether you're four years old or 40 years old or 104 years old, you gotta redo it and and rethink it and be like you just said, unbreakable. And that is a wonderful question. I wrote, I've been writing notes all the way through this. I got 12 no pages of notes. So I'm oh very thankful and and people who don't take notes, you know, and listen to your show need to start taking notes and keeping a journal and all that, which is one thing things <laughs> we teach. But what happens is we're just to finish this and in, in afford what I wrote was, we're going to do 50, not billion, but trillion dollars worth of business from 2020 to 2030 with great businesses like one that, you know, Press and I are advisor to with Mitzi, and that is QCI. And, and what they're doing is they're doing, I'm going to make it quokily a little, but it trashed to cash. We can now take every atom, a guy spent $300 million, 20 years, Dean Rose, and as an engineer, and, and he's got 50 guys working, ladies and men working with him, and he figured out how to take every piece of metal. In every garbage dump, now, our 10,000 garbage dumps are full. If we don't do that and we can take metal and go back to metal, glass to glass, glass to glass, water to water, we're in the most exciting time ever and we won't lack resources because Jesus said, you know, I've come to you guys have life and have it abundantly. Well, the only way to abundance, as far as I'm concerned, I'm not talking for my writing partners here, but is through technology, properly used technology that's well thought out, that's controlled with good HR.
2: Yeah. Boy, thank you for that. I appreciate that. I've, and you know what you you generated a thought. The reset isn't just for yourself. The reset comes with business as well. I mean, look how many people are adapting to what's going on. One of my one of my friends here in the Virginia Beach area, best blues band ever. And I am not a local band follower. I mean, I still listen to Duran Duran if that tells you anything. But um, love them. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> so. But um, you know, he before the restaurants started closing down, he canceled all of his all of his gigs and he got an in, an in a studio set up and within the week that all of those things went down, he was already booking gigs online and playing live and getting paid for it. Genius. That's right. What
0: Preston and I've done, if you go to markfrictorans.com, you can watch all the videos that I've done, but I can't I, I only can claim that I'm I'm the writer narrator and he gets to <laughs> edit it. But We've also put in the greatest graphics ever. And, and now Mitzi trying to help us do all that. And it just, it's a mind blower because all of us have gone. Aah! Yeah. You know, it's,
2: yeah. And, but it's great because it challenges, it's challenging all of us in a level that if you're not looking at the negative and yes, it's very scary. It's scary to think that, holy cow, all of a sudden, I'm going to have to start laying people off and holy cow, we're going to may have, we're at, we're at risk of shutting down our business. That's the scary part. But if you embrace the fear and you turn it on and say, okay, so that gets to sit right there, where are our opportunities and how can we transition and turn something around? And how do we mine all of that really great potential from our, from our people to go ahead and do it? And yeah. I think fear mm-hmm. overrides all of that. I mean, look, Preston, look at your business. I mean, you're doing all of this, you know, international transition work. I mean, that's massive. And, it's all, and it all looks different, not just from customer to customer, from country to country and yep. from scenario to scenario. I mean, I've, I, you know, when I left ADP, I consulted to 380 small businesses in five years. I've seen a lot of different things done a lot of different ways. There's no way you can't take something from that. And just like what you're doing right now.
4: Yeah, it's, you know everything's changed. Everything's adapted. But what's so neat, and one thing Mark kind of mentioned too, is that the technology's out there. And so we need to adapt to that yeah. technology now. Maybe we're not used to it. Maybe we're not comfortable with it. But there's so many benefits that are coming out of it. I've been, I was talking with the CEO the other day, and he said, you know, I've never been so efficient in my business before because I used to have to fly, and I have experience with this. I, I, I'd fly to California. I'm, I'm in Arizona. Fly to California for a day. I'd maybe fit in four meetings. I'd fly out at 5 in the morning. I'd pick up my rental car. I'd drive through the chaos of California. I'd drive more than I actually was in meetings. I'd hop back on the plane, I'd fly home, and I'd, I'd come to my house at midnight, and you know, I'd get four meetings done. Now, you know, we're all over the country, you know, just like we are in this meeting right now, and we can talk face-to-face. I can have meetings back-to-back every single hour. I can get things done. It costs less. It saves me time. And I can do, you know, what would it take in eight weeks? I can do in one or two weeks. And so, you know, that's amazing on the leadership side of things and adaption and change that's happening. And you can do that on a global scale. On the employee side of things too, if you look at it, you go, okay, it's, it's a change. I've got to work at home. You know, some people like it, some people don't. Well, what, what if you're an employee and you had a one-hour commute? You just picked up 10 extra hours a week of your, your life. life. You know, what can you do with that? Well, I'd recommend doing some of the things we just mentioned in this show, like, you know, take that time to improve yourself. Take that time to take care of yourself and your body. Learn, educate, you know, take care of your health and all those types of things. But, you know, so with these changes and with these adaptations, there's maybe some stress or maybe some issues with it. But also it's beautiful because there's so many great things that come out of it. One things that Mark just mentioned too, like the courses, you know, all the conferences you know we, we do speaking events and you know speaking from large crowds and things like that well when this one thing that my company did when we when this whole thing hit is we adapted really quickly and we started building online courses for other companies we're doing that as a service at operationsx.com and so you know where people had things that were they were going to events and they're speaking with people or if they had a training or a teaching program or something, you know, that they have to teach their employees for uh, HR. Uh, we can put that online now and put that into a course and distribute it. And you can distribute People can watch it any time of day. We can, you know, distribute it across the entire world. And you know, we, we made made the book writing course that Mark uh, teaches called, you have a book in you, yep. which is a fantastic, amazing, amazing course. And, you know, we just, I connected with a group. I just connected with a group in Australia and they're they're delivering you know that course as part of their offering to help people build their business and define their brand in book writing. It's one of their you know five pillars of kind of reinventing your company or yourself.. Yep. and so we would have never been able to fly to Australia and teach those people there, but now we're doing it. Now now they can sign up. they can do it. you know they can do it anytime. Uh, and it, the times, you know, opposite there, and yeah. uh, it's so it's amazing if you look at the potential of what can happen. And it does. You got to keep your head up, and you have to adapt.
2: Yeah.
5: But
4: it's that that opportunity that's coming out of the crisis. It's so beautiful.
2: Yeah, I love it. I love what you said about keeping your head up. Um, here's yeah, something.
0: We're, we're saying you got to take adversity and turn it into advantage. Take adversity, oh, turn totally. into the opportunity. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. And you know what? It's funny because, you know, there's been a few times now that I've been around, you know, my friends and the people that I know and love. And it was so funny. It was on Mother's Day. We went down to the uh, we went down to the Navy SEAL monument to uh, to do a reading of what's called Frogman Down. And these people that I haven't seen and and I've, you know, I've been isolated a little bit longer than most people just because of, you know, circumstance. But um, I walked out to him and, you know, we're used to giving each other these big hugs and, you know, yeah. the families and the wives. And I, was, and I looked at one of my friends and he comes up and he gives me an elbow bump and one was tapping me on the foot. And I went, oh, my gosh, I've never been so socially awkward as I was when I was 15 years old. <laughs> I was like, and finally they just went, screw it. And everybody just starts hugging each other. It's <laughs> like they called the cops on us. and It was, it was quite a production, but i just like, oh, my gosh. And, you know, that day's going to come back. And, and we miss that. We miss that connection. We need with
0: 15, you know, Jack and I, in the first chicken soup book, you know, did a story on the hugging judge. And what the research showed was you need 15 hugs a day. We need to be tactically. <laughs> yes.
2: Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. When we when we start off the session at the Honor Foundation, uh, which is a, I, I haven't spoken to you about this, it's a transition program for special operators and started off with SEALs, which is how I got started four years ago. Now I introduce myself as like, you know, I'm the HR lady of the group. And um, I'm also it. just going to let you know right now, I'm also the hugger. So get ready for it. <laughs> <You> <laughs> it's 44 people are just like, check, got it. You know, and, it, and it's great, but you're right. It's just, we need that connectivity. And, you know, systems like this have been, great at maintaining it to a level, but not at the level that I think as human beings really truly need. And that's where employers really have to start getting creative as to, you know, talking about what Mitzi talks about is that, you know, it's, look at my eyes are watering. It's all about the people. How do you keep getting the people, how do you keep honoring the people of your workplace and keep them engaged and keep them feeling like they belong to something bigger?
3: that's the essence of everything i saw in my late father and my late husband that yeah. they, they did everything they could possibly do to communicate the importance and well, i me to share one of the things that I, I watched frank do and this is this is a case of do as i say and not as i do because <laughs> well because i can't live up to what he did but it's, it's worth aiming for yeah. he knew thousands of names so if we're walking through oh. the floor of a plant he could introduce me to person after person after person and he'd even know something about the person such as Mitzi, I'd like you to meet Delcy. Uh, her son just got into college or meet Antonio. Uh, yeah. He's had 30 years without a, a, a sick leave day.
2: Wow. Uh,
3: but you know, just imagine what it must mean to somebody, a worker on the line to have the big boss yeah. recognize you by name. Absolutely. In fact, I even think it, you know, this is something else that I'd recommend to managers and bosses and owners. Go through the plants. Frank used to regularly eat at the employee cafeterias. There, I yep. think there's 16 different processing plants. And, you know, he could have gone to great big fancy restaurants, but no. He sits in the, and I, I was with him often. We would sit in the cafeteria and he'd just talk with people, you know, ask, how are you doing? How's it going? What do you need? Yep.
2: Yeah. One of the, there's a, I don't know if it's a parable or if it's an analogy or something, but I heard this a while ago and I, and I play this role every now and again um, that if you sit and have a conversation with somebody and the only thing that you're talking about is you're asking questions of the other person, not like drilling them in an interview, but if you 100% of the conversation is an interest on the other person, they are going to think you are the most amazing creature on the planet because it's all of our lives are all about us. And so when our leaders take notice of us, when we're recognized, when people nominate individuals for awards, it's amazing what happens to, I, want, I don't want to say self-worth, maybe that's it. I don't know, it but it, it just, you just rise up.
0: Self-worth and self-esteem. And by the way, As I said, the new book we have in addition to Up is called Ask. I like one-word books. It's really (laughs) easy to remember the titles. It's even hard for a dyslexic to you got
2: a whole dictionary to go through, Mark. Keep writing, will you?
0: (laughs) I know. I know. By the way, no one told me to do that. I'll do that. But you're exactly right. What we did is we did a study from Mitzi's alma mater at Harvard, and what they found out is that, people that ask questions, even that they're dating, this chance of getting a second date is four times more once you start to ask questions.
3: Well, I used to watch Frank, since I'm a writer by trade, I was always taking notes and observing. And one of the things that he just regularly did was if he was interacting with you or with a group, like a group of salesmen or board of directors or whatever else, he would be talking 10% of the time and listening 90% of the time and the 10% of the time that he was listening or that he was speaking, Mark, he was asking. Yeah. I mean, just as you said, he was showing interest in them by asking them questions.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Now take that. If you get, here's a, here's a really, here's a good question for you guys. So let's say for example, you have somebody in HR who's, working on that that's a skill set that they're developing because they want to help the ceo make connections or they want to make better connections with their workforce now that person gets lost in everybody else and they don't go they don't take that nobody's giving that back to them because you have to feel like you're just as interesting as the people that you're talking to as well Uh,
0: can i answer that out of an experience i had this morning
2: yes please
0: Okay, so I've owned two companies with probably one of the greatest trainers and most high spiritual uh, leaders on the planet, a guy named Bob Proctor. Today, he's turning 86. So he writes me this long letter, which I, it, never would I do this. I hope I'm not violating my dear friend, Bob. But uh, he sends me this thing early this morning. So my wife and I called him because we, we were at his 80th birthday and he's going to have his 100th birthday. He's already booked it for a million people in Las Vegas. So that's oh, 14 wow. years from now. So Bob writes, thanks, Mark. How can I help you mark all capitals? You've been such a good friend throughout almost my entire commercial career. I'd like to do something for you and Crystal, that's my wife. I am probably as happy as anyone that you met and married Crystal, she is so good for and to you. I'll be 86 on Sunday, I thought it was today. Mark, I was reviewing all that I'm grateful for and you are a list of the special friends. You are such a good person, Mark, love Bob. And so I called him and I said, and it's Canada Day, so they're closed down. Yeah. And uh, I get goosebumps telling you this. He said, what do you want? And I told him what I wanted, because he, he has 2 million people on his podcast at a time. I said, let's just do an interview with us, because most, he's interviewed us about our book, Ask, and other books that I've done you know, forever. And But I said, why don't we just do a dialogue, because you believe that spirit's always expanding, spirit's always making people better off. You're teaching fundamental abundance. You're saying we're turning around the economy. Let's just do a dialogue with you and I and Crystal. And he said, great, two million people will do it within two weeks. I went, holy cow. And I, did, I called him just to wish him a happy birthday because he wrote <laughs> me that love letter. And that's what, so asking does have, to people that are aware and conscious and have some intellect, there is a high reciprocity. I think Mitzi would agree with that and so would Preston.
3: Well, absolutely and totally. I mean, reciprocity makes the world go round. Yeah. And I don't mean transactional reciprocity. I don't mean, you know, you do this because I'm doing that. No, out of the fullness of your heart, you want to do something for somebody.
2: We know and that. Comes is back. Back. <laughs> yes. Sorry? We know that is quid pro quo in the sexual harassment. Right
0: <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I see you. also that you've got in our first chicken soup book, we've got the Teddy Roosevelt thing that you've got on your wall behind you. The oh, man in he, the arena. In the arena after the bloody fight, is the one that is there. And and by the way, everybody, I think, I hope you send that out to everybody and I hope you read it sometime online because it is it is profound, it is poetic. And and Teddy Roosevelt is a house that Mitzi and I will be visiting very shortly in, in Sagamore Hill when we gotta be in New York to do some media together.
2: Well, I'll tell you what, I will read that as, the, as part of the segue into this episode so that way it, we make sure that we get it done. I think that's a great idea.
0: Yeah, so, I love Teddy.
2: Preston. <clears throat> So we're talking about connectivity and here you are with an organization all over the planet. (laughs) How are you guys staying connected with such a remote and diverse work environment?
4: So, well, part of that's through technology. I mean, there's so many amazing different things you can do with technology. Um, You know, you can connect, I can drop in and talk to, you know, my staff right now that are... You know, working while I'm talking to you uh, on the other side of the world, and you know, and then also too, you know, depending on the level of that, you know, there's a lot of different monitoring and checking and things that you can do now that you used to not be able to do through technology. Um, there's some some industry pushback, uh, what you know, with or some people push back occasionally with too much monitoring. You know, so there's a balance. So there's actually technology that's out there now. Where you can see exactly what you know, what my employee's been doing, which sites they've clicked on, you know where they've been on the screen, how much time they've spent on each site, yep. and you can monitor all their productivity through that. So we have all those tools. Now uh, we try not to. And you can even record the screen, or or you can screenshot the screen. Uh, periodically, through an amount of you know time frames, you can set. So if you want three minute intervals or yep. half hour intervals or you know different things, or pop in look at the screen, or you can record it 24/7. Um, we only use that if there's a problem, because and and this is a big thing too that's always been in my business I like to default on trust. Yes. I, I if you don't you know it's you know trust and you know verify kind okay, but. If, if there's a problem and you know, I don't want to waste my time uh, monitoring and checking people and you know, doing that. If people are getting done what they're supposed to do, then I don't care. I don't have a problem with it and I let them do whatever they're doing and you know, I don't have an issue with it. Uh, you know, part of that too though is on the, on the leadership side, you need to create clear expectations. You need to create goals. Yes. And you need to have those people also need to be enrolled in uh, communicating their performance. So when you're working with remote staff, a lot of people are navigating this remote staff situation. They go, okay, how do I do it? One of the problems I see it, companies you know, have is they you know, expect things to happen. There's a breakdown in communication. They're not uh, either conveying that to their people or you know, there's not the back and forth. And you don't want to sit there and monitor and everyone's working apart. So if you have your expectations you set up front, and then you can actually put it back on your, on your people and say, okay, and, and I, I find really great success with this to go, wait, okay, at the end of the week, I want you to report back to me what you've got done. And that does two things. It takes off my plate, so I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to do it. Two, it allows them to realize what they've accomplished which is super powerful for people cuz they not only are they keeping track of it some people might think it's annoying or something like that but you don't have to go back you don't have to verify they go okay this week we got this done we got this done we got this done we got this done they feel successful by doing yes. that. they feel successful by telling you that and reporting that yep. and so you know it's it's a really really great way to incorporate You know that that type of a thing into a remote uh, work situation now.
2: The one thing that I've seen, I think, is a big miss by employers. So go back to what you were saying about it gives employees uh, their level of engagement and satisfaction stays high when they can report to you what they've accomplished. Here's the thing that I see that I just want to club people when it happens, and that is, and that is, they go, well, what about this? How can we get this done? And all of a sudden that emotional bank account is going from profitable to in the negative. And, and it is such a common thing because we don't, you know, we're leaders, you know, we're focused in and, and what happens is when we feel that pressure, right, our, our tunnel vision starts kicking in and then we get very, very fine-tuned and honed in on just a stream of thinking. We have to remember to open our aperture and when somebody's telling us something which is a hard thing to do sometimes, we have to be mindful that we're taking in information that is important to somebody else that likely we could apply somewhere else and be just as beneficial. But that's what pressure does, and that's what stress does, and we're back to that stress conversation. Guess right. I,
0: I like what you're saying. That's why it's nice to press preface and say, let's see if we can't keep our emotional bank accounts high. And the way yes. I do it is I say, hey, look, your life is like a 24-story house, right? And, and, and if the top of that is to get to God consciousness or full awareness or self-realization or self-actualization, whatever language you want to do, all of us are at some floor in that. And the goal for us in this company in HR is to have all of us elevate, escalate, whether we're walking yes. the stairs, yes. whether we're yes. es- on an escalator, whether we're an elevator. A lot of you want to take the elevator, but there's no elevator to self-improvement. Back to what you said about the feedback you got with the fe- SEALs that's building your self esteem, that self love, which is inside outing. And everybody wants it outside to validate, but you've got to do it inside. Yes. So your, your life is a mirrored reflection. It is what, what Dr. Emmett Fox used to call a mental equivalent, you know, where you see, you've got to see it before you did it. And the best example is when Jack and I interviewed all the top, who I interviewed all the top leaders, uh, we put it on the mirrors at our, our respective homes and offices and we were number one before we became number one. So when we became number one, they just said, well, you're number one. We always thought you were going to be number one. Now they didn't really believe that, but all <laughs> of a sudden we were number one. The point is that's the imaging that HR has got to do. That's why yes. Solomon, the greatest visionary of all leaders and a guy who $6 trillion, if you believe the numbers of what the Bible says, right? And I, I went, I'm a Salamic scholar, as it, it turns out, but the, the point is Solomon Said, "Without vision, we perish." Then I'll translate it in English. With vision, you flourish, and it's up to HR inspiring leaders to have a bigger vision.
2: Yeah, and that's a challenge for HR departments of one because we're taking care of so many fires. So you're
0: going to be the visionary then.
2: Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's exactly what it's going. If you, if somebody who's in HR is an HR department of one, or a very small team, or is an individual where they're a director and they've got subordinates, where they, they can't find that nourishment elsewhere, it has to be self-driven, but split it in half. In other words, spend ha- some spend a chunk of your day dealing with all the crises that come with the role, and then spend another half of the day trying to figure out how you're going to raise somebody up, because when you raise somebody else up, you raise yourself up simultaneously. It changes that chemical in the brain. And matter of fact, you're going to love this one, Mark. Years ago, and I mentioned this a little while ago on an episode, I had a team of people. I was sent into a store as a, I was in operations at the time in retail and I was sent into a store and the store manager and uh, one of the teams did not like each other. They did not get along at all. And and it was all these women against this one dude. (laughs) (laughs) And he comes in, I come in for my shift. I'm already kind of like, you know, a little tired because it was at the end of the week. And he comes up to me. And the first thing I hear is I'm done with these people. I can't stand them. I just want to fire them on. Right. And they're just growling and garbling. And I said, here's what we're going to do. You're going to put your stuff down. We're going to go into the back. And so I just had it. And I walk in, I said, everybody put your stuff away right now, whatever you're doing, drop it, put it away. I want everybody's attention. You have 30 seconds go. And they did. And they're all kind of like looking at me like, Oh my gosh, what is she going to do? And I said, here's what I want you to do. Everybody, I want you to take a spot up against the wall and I want y'all to turn and look at yourself in the mirror. And they're looking at me I said, just do it. And, and it was this big wall of mirror. And I said, here's what you guys are going to do because I knew the secret behind this. And, I'm, and I did not want to deal with a whole day of listening to everybody grab at each other because that's what they've been doing for weeks. I said, y'all are going to look at yourself and you're going to smile at yourself for 15 seconds. Go. And within five seconds, everybody was cracking up laughing. They couldn't do it. People are just like, I mean, gut, guttural, gut laughing. They're like, this is the dumbest thing that we've ever done into stuff. Why don't you sing at the same time? And I said, you guys are going to have the best day for the rest of the day. You want to know why? And I said, why? I said, because you just changed your brain chemistry. And by the way, y'all need to figure out how to get along. So you might as well do it while you're in a good mood. <laughs> Love it. Love it. And I walked out the door. I said, have a good one. I'm out of here. I got to go take care of my stuff. You know, I'm, I'm done with you all, <laughs> you know. But it's that, but it's that kind of thing that works, you know. Oh yeah. laughing again, look at that.
4: There's a super cool exercise I did once at an event that's kind of similar, and but it's it involves people and it's it's just being with someone, literally standing face to face with with a person. I mean, like inches apart, like toes together, almost not touching. But not talking and just stand there for like three minutes.
2: They
5: won't make it. Don't
4: say anything. And just look at them. And you walk away from that experience. Like you just like are connected to this person in in the deepest way you could never even understand how it happened by just literally sitting there and looking at someone face to face and not talking and just being quiet and feeling that moment I mean it's it's life-changing
2: yeah and I think that's what's so important right now is that we're so far apart right now with I mean granted we have technology that's the only way that we're really able to stay connected but I think mark my words and I'll bet you anything that when people are starting to come back together and we're getting that close proximity to one another that you know the people that we really enjoy. That phenomenon is happening organically without people realizing because we've been so distant from one another.
0: And the and distance is – is the problem is we do seven roadblocks to asking, and the seventh one is disconnection. And yeah. right now people are more disconnected. You say, well, no, 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 we're more connected with a cell phone, and we no. laugh. No, 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 no. You need a physical connection. You need to hear somebody. You need to – what Press just said, you feel each other, right? Yeah. And And feel is – I may be going too far for HR generally. No, we just
2: use the force.
0: (laughs) What? Get you the force. And may the force be with you because there is a physical auric energy and there are aurometers now and we can take auric meter pictures with thanks to curling and photography and humma humma. But the point is all of us have that. And when you are together, your energy builds. You get stronger. You get mightier. That's why I say one and one isn't two. It's the power of 11 if you look at it right. (laughs)
2: perfect. Oh my gosh. So Mitzi, I'm going to start this question off with you. So one of the things that we've been talking about in, in the next gen women in HR Facebook group that I've got is if, is that work, is that building of the relationship between the HR professional and the CEO and not that it's bad. It's just, how can you take it to the next level? And if you could look back in your world, uh, which is fast and deep, I love it is if you could have improved something in your relationship as a leader with your HR team, what would that be?
3: Well, can I answer it in a somewhat backward way, which is something (laughs) that at Purdue is fairly recent, like the last two or three years. And I'd say if we had it to do over again, I would have done this much sooner, but we have, you know, the meat industry traditionally is not a magnet for high-level women. It's just not. Yeah. Uh, there, there aren't that many little girls who grow up and say, oh, boy, I want to work in the meat industry. So we have to work really, really hard to attract women. And we, in the last few years, we started something called the Purdue Organization for Women, and Oh, I, I I know about it because I get to address it frequently. I get to stand up in front of them and tell them about company values and company history and so forth. But it is so powerful when women from, from I mean, 22,000 employees, these are like the top, I think it's 250 women. But when, when we all get together and we just share experiences and encouraging, and I mean, I think it's a wonderful thing. So I guess if there's one thing that, I would have done differently if it were up to me. I started this earlier.
2: Yeah.
3: I mean, let me tell you some of the perks you get if you're a member of POW. Uh, You're going to get books. You're going to get lectures. You're going to get meals together, uh, sometimes whole days together. But but women are just absolutely celebrated, and we didn't do that before. And I'm going to bet, I'm ready to bet an awful lot of dollars that this is a... Yeah, first of all, it's the right thing to do. Yeah. But second, it's got to be such a payoff for attracting more women.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. Because women, they need that unity and that connection. In a different yeah, way I mean, than men do.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard even to express when you take the temperature of, of the room or the vibrations that are going on. When you're just with other women who are, enc- I mean, we're there to encourage each other. That's the purpose. And it's it's so uplifting, you know. The power of one is the power of eleven. In this case, uh, exponential. It's so. I wish we had done it earlier because it's working so well. That's wonderful.
2: Okay, Mark, you since you've had I don't know how many companies you've owned now. I've lost. I don't have enough fingers and toes to count them anymore, and I love it. But it, like with all of your experience, if there was anything that you could have done looking backwards to improve that communication, that relationship, and utilize your HR team, what would that be?
0: I would have sat with more and, and written a 10-year business plan and, and done it visually on the board and just said, hey, look, you all tell me what we could do in 10 years. Because in the short term, most of us think we can do too much in a company or as an individual. But in long term, I learned from Bill Gates that most of us way underestimated. And what we're saying my wife and I are teaching, and I believe you guys all believe it, we are born with immense talent, skills, yes. ability. And my teacher, Buckminster Fuller, when I was in grad school, said we are born geniuses and get on plug going through life. And you can't do that. Who do you think you are? Come on, Brenda, you know I better. Know, right? You're in a, you work at, at a, a hardware store. What do you know? Right? Whatever the, the languaging was or is. And, and the point is, if if we really all looked at it together, we could make this thing work for 8 billion people. And that's what I'm, you know, I'm going to live the 127th options for renewal because you live as long as you write that you're going to live. I mean, you get to set it according to Genesis three six. So I, I believe that. So I'm going to live that long. So I got a long time to go and I'm going to try to pull that off and I'm going to cheer on more HR people than ever. So I have learned a lot on this call with you.
2: Oh, wonderful. Thank you. So So here's a follow-on question for you. So, A lot of now, I can tell you right now that somebody listening to this is going to go, Oh my gosh, I would love to have what he's talking about. How can I make that happen? So, being a leader, what would you want your HR people to do in order to convince you that sitting down and and doing this or improving that communication, how would you recommend they go about doing this? Not just from my lips, but from somebody who's been in seat.
0: uh, by the way, I'm I'm making this up as I go along because we have two of my partners on online here. So uh, you know, we have not done that for us. We, we're trying to solve immediate back to what we said earlier: trial yeah. by fire. The damn place is on fire, and we're trying to put it out as best we can with a little yeah. fire extinguisher. But as soon as the fire is over, which is probably going to be after November fourth or spring. Yeah, right? Exactly. Right? Is January third. What, what we'll do. <laughs> Preston, Mitzi, my wife and I, and our team will sit down and I really want to do this 10 year plan. And you, you uh, forgive me for bragging here, but a guy I met at a, at a podcast said, I got to buy you something. And I said, I've never met you before. You don't have to buy me anything. He said, no, 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 you're going to have one of these gigantic glass screens, which Preston's seen at my house and you can write anything on it and keep going. So we're going to write our 10 year goal on this. Right. thing. And Mitzi, once she's willing to, uh, Get out of sequestration, if that's the way to say <laughs> soon, it. Soon,
3: I'm ready. <laughs>
0: soon, soon. Is it she'll come out here to Arizona? We live in a wonderful place called Scottsdale. We're going to write that 10 year plan and, and we'll figure out stuff that'll include everybody in ER and we're going to exalt all their spirits, up their right. self esteem, self worth, self validation, and say, how do we make it work? Because if everybody felt good about themselves, we could accomplish inevitably
5: yes. enough
0: for everybody. There's, you know, Greed never gets solved. There's not enough for anybody, but need we have more than enough to take care of all the needs of everyone.
2: Absolutely. I would fully agree. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, Preston. Hot seat time. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. So you're kind of in a position where you get to look at it presently now and say, well, here's what I'm going to do. No, no pressure. Sorry.
4: No No problem. Well, you know
2: you commit to something.
4: So yeah, I've got, I've got three things I want to mention. One of them, and it, it has to do with the era that we're living in. We're living in this digital world, you know, and so there's social media and there's all these things and you you, know, you look at your phone and see the good food that your friends ate the other night or whatever and all these like silly kind of interactions. Right. right. But what that's done is people, and, and this needs to come from a leadership perspective down through the chain of company, is people need authenticity. People yes. are craving authenticity. Like like it's never been before. And so yes. this front that everyone puts out that oh I've got this great life and I've you know wear my suit and I drive a nice car and I eat at great restaurants that look like they serve beautiful plates of food or you know, whatever kind of thing there's kind of a little bit a trend of the past and it's a little bit of that face and what people really, really connect to and what they resonate with is the authenticity. And then the second part of that is, you know, by doing that, people need to share from the heart. Yes. And people need to share from the heart and they need to be connected with their heart and they not, need to not be afraid of that because a lot of times, especially as uh, leaders, Uh, You know, they're afraid to, you know, be exposed, kind of, they Mm -hmm. put up this wall, like this, you know, strength pillar kind of thing.
2: I can't be wrong. Yeah. Yeah,
4: right. Yeah. You can't be wrong. You got to be this, you know, certain type of person. And so if you're authentic and if you can lead, you know, from the heart that, that can, you know, accomplish that. And then, you know, the third part is to trust, you know, to extend trust to the people that you work with and trust that they'll perform, trust that they'll do that. Because, you know, that that all connects to that authenticity. If you're not trusting people in the end, then you're not actually being authentic and you're not leading from the heart and you're not letting things go. And all those th- three things combined together in a leadership role will trickle down through your company and help it.
2: Yeah, you said something that's so key, letting it go. And this is something that, you know, when I work with, when I work with leaders that are having people problems, because if you have people, you have problems, let's face it. You either have one or two problems. You either have a process problem or you got people problems. And and people problems can be big and massive scale where you need to, you know, you don't have the right talent and seat, all the way down to that one guy. <laughs> you know, But but that's the thing is that, you know, and Mark, you said it earlier, we kind of get, we get jaded in life. You know, we start off as geniuses and then we kind of get beat down, which is just how life is. But then the same thing kind of applies with, with, you know, leading individuals at work is that somebody makes a mistake or they step out of bounds or they demonstrate some level of undesired behavior. And now you have somebody who we're judging beasts. And now you've got a leader that has said, not a good experience. And that person will never live down that memory. They won't live down that experience, no matter how hard they try and fix it. And I've, I've run into this as being a dyslexic. I'm not great with numbers. My threes, my sixes and my eights, they all look the same. So I don't do a lot of comp analysis. I am not your girl. I'm telling you right now. But, um, but when I run into something and I've goofed something up, I feel the pressure of that judgment and that never letting go that she's made that mistake. And what's worse is that when somebody feels that, cause we're talking about, you know, that life force when an employee feels that their leader, their CEO or whatever, the president of the company, small organization, big organization has lost confidence in their ability to do something. Then what they are actually doing that's good and great is completely missed. So
3: true. The only so thing true.
2: that's, Stuck is that one event in their head and it scars the whole relationship forever. And that's something that I work with them. I'm like, look, let's let's get you, you know, Mr. Leader, your misleader, whatever. Feel what you feel. Let's deal with you first. Now let's really take a look at the situation. List all the things that they do well. And does the one thing that they've goofed up on really outweigh all the great things that they do? And if
0: about your grandfather writing a love note to everybody and saying how great they did. We need more love notes and less criticism.
2: Yes. Agreed. But you know what? There are, there's also this personality clash that takes place too. You can like, I'll we have this one guy, I got to come up with a new name for him. Um, cause I really can't, I don't want to say it cause he's a lawsuit happy former employee. And I really quite frankly don't ever want to run into him in court, but uh, we'll just call him Lieutenant Dan.
1: <laughs> anyway.
2: Amanda. The Lieutenant Dan, anyway, this guy was brilliant at what he did. He was very, very skilled at what he did. But he was that guy that would take a bird's feathers and stroke it backwards. And, you know, <laughs> sorry, Mitzi.
5: Anyway, I love it. <laughs> but that's what
2: he would do. And he would do it to get attention. And then he would do something else dumb and dorky to get attention. And then he'd argue with you. But all of that constantly overshadowed everything that he did great. And finally I said, Can you just stop being a jerk for five minutes? <laughs> and he said what I said, You intentionally ruin your relationships at work to the point where I can't help you anymore. I don't and? know. I, I don't know what more to do. You do great things, but you cast this whole huge shadow. No wonder you're not getting the raise you want. No wonder you're not getting the promotion. No wonder you're not getting the respect that you're, you're craving because you're not earning it either. All you're doing is destroying your relationships.
0: He so- He brightens up a whole room when he walks out of it.
3: Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's
3: exactly what happened. But Brenda, tell us the rest of the story. How did he respond? What what happened? Well, he or he just couldn't change?
2: Yeah. So this is how he responded, and I and I kid you not, he was a six foot five white guy. He went out and he got cornrows braided into his head the next day to make a point. And I'm like, "And what point are you making?" Because quite frankly, they look really bad. But um, he's and he comes back and he says, "There, I cleaned up my image." I said, "No, you didn't." I said, "You got cornrows put in your hair." I said, "You didn't clean anything up. You just got a new do, man." I said, you got a long road to hoe. And eventually he actually did wind up pushing his luck too hard. He, he did wind up stepping over the bounds. It it was a financial impact and they let him go, but he has sued every employer along the way. He is that one guy, you know, but that taints an employer forever. It taints a leader forever because those are hard moments. I mean, people on the outside, they only see the outside of it. What they don't see is the nights that you lay in bed wondering if not only is the company going to get sued, but our individual liability as well. You know, how much more personal stress am I going to have to undergo dealing with this guy? You know, so you get that one guy, but, but it's that. And then if somebody does something and goofs up, now you've tainted your opinion about somebody else. So it, it's challenging. It, I mean, it's there. There isn't anything easy about leadership. I'm sorry, there just isn't. It's great when it's rewarding, but oof, man, it's a character builder. Wow, I got all of you quiet for a second. We've been laughing at. No, it is.
4: It it, cool. it it that that tainted individual is so hard to deal with in a company, yeah. and you know, it's like that that concept too, like. You, you are who you surround yourself with. And so I always try and surround myself with amazing people like all of you here. Uh, but you know, in a company that's really hard, and the bigger the company, I mean, I don't even know 20,000 people how to even you know, pump or something like that. Yeah. Uh, but I, I saw that happen you know, in, in my companies and an example of that you know, was you know, on, in, in one of my locations, there's a guy that was just pushing everyone the wrong way. No one got along with him and everyone fought, and he was fighting over it. We're in a sales environment, sales, car sales, like the roughest, you know, environment sometimes to be in. And it's commission based, so everyone's, you know, really got to get along. It's really hard to, you know, make that synergy and, and create a group, and we were able to do that, which was great. But I had that bad scene in there, and, uh, you know, I won't say who he is or anything, but he had, had a situation come up. Uh, where he said, "Hey, you know, this is happening in my life. Can I take a leave for two months?" And I was like, "Yes, yes, you can."
5: <laughs>
4: <laughs> Please. You know, oh, sure. If that's what you want, I oh, I'll have do a it. Pen? And, and in in that time when he was gone, we were understaffed uh, at that location, and but we shattered our record in sales because everyone was so excited yes. that he was gone. Yeah. They, they carry that energy into work. It translated into the customer and the customer purchased and the, the whole success of the business launched. And that was a learning, you know, situation for me as a business owner to go, wow, it really does have that big of an effect to create that positive it does. You know, feeling in the work environment, to create that positivity, to create that happiness, to create that synergy. And so I made a mission from then on to, you know, make, make that a top top priority in every single business I've ever done
2: yeah love it love it well if you guys could leave everybody with the best wisdom and nugget of information you probably because we've had a lot of it we got the gold mine here on this show what would it be like if you wanted to just leave that one thing that people can think of like I still have Tom ringing in my ears what would what would your life be like if you never quit what would what would you want to leave people with today
0: I'll I'll jump in. Go ahead. You go first, Mitzi. Go ahead. Ladies ladies. first.
3: Okay. (laughs) Just just something from my father who's, he said that his approach to leadership was inspire, don't require. And I need to develop that just a little teeny bit. Uh, He wanted the person who was making beds, say the maid who's making beds in the hotel room, that she's not making beds in the hotel room. No, she's building the best hotel in the city, one that's going to be, an inspiration to the rest, to everybody else. So I loved his approach of that the person waiting on table or tending bar or cleaning up a room. They're not just doing that. They're doing something much bigger. They're part of something bigger. And that gets back to his saying, inspire, don't require. Yeah, love that.
0: Mine would be the size of your question determines the size of your results. So. I'm asking everyone to ask a bigger question of how can I do more, be more, have more, <sighs> serve more at levels that you hadn't previously thought about. And that's why when Crystal and I wrote ask and then we wrote up is we, we got to stay positive. We got to stay in sort of an exalted state because if you let your energy and attitude sink, you sink.
2: Yes. Love it.
0: And then, uh, yeah, mine, it comes from one of my mantras,
4: which is relentless improvement. And so, I think you know, relentless improvement is, is so important. Uh, part of that is like, like the world I got behind me here. The world is constantly in motion. Everything's in motion. Everything's yeah. changing. I'm sitting here right now, and people are outside. You know, my office. They're working. They're doing things. Life's happening. The world's moving. Things are adapting. Things are progressing, and we always need to have an attitude of relentless improvement. And part of that too comes from listening. And even the most you know basic person uh, in your life, uh, they might not be you know uh, high up position in your company. They might be you know someone that's not you know, gone to school or done things. We can learn from everyone if we really, really focus on relentless improvement. I learn from my kids all the time. You know, they can teach those simple, simple little nuggets. That I go, shoot, you know. I didn't really think of that, you know. It, it's something that maybe was not a, a realistic thought in my mind, or that you know can you know change how I'm doing something in the in my day or in my company or in my life, or any employee, you know, to listen. And so relentless improvement is, you know, my my. Thinking.
2: I love it. I love that. That's great. All right, guys. So this is this is what we got. So we got three books. So first off, the trio wrote How to Be Up in Down Times. So that's book number one. Um, book number two is Mitzi's how to make your family book business. Great book. I mean, there was, I was like thumbing through this and like, Oh my gosh, there's so much stuff that I saw with my own family. And And then this one's the power of focus. I'm reading this one, Mark on the financial aspect. Yes. So I thank you guys so very much. Can you please share with people? how they can follow you. I mean, aside from Mark, who's like in every bookstore on the planet, but other than that, how can, the how stores
0: can... are closed. So I, <laughs> I need people to go to markvictorhansen.com and watch all the videos we've done and, and see it. that. So markvictorhansen.com. It's just M-A-R-K-V-I-C-T-O-R-H-A-N-S-E-N, the Danish way.com.
2: That's awesome. And Mitzi, where can people find Mine you? is shorter.
3: <laughs> <laughs> MitziPurdue.com. But Purdue is spelled uh, like chickens and not like the university. So it's P-E-R-D-U-E.
2: There you go. And, and uh, Preston.
4: Yeah. You, and <laughs> check me out my company at Operations X. It's operations with a plural and then just the letter X to multiply your operations. So yeah, check me out at Operations X or, or check me out on LinkedIn and uh, see what we're up to. It's all fun stuff.
2: Love it. Thank you guys so very much. This has been great. Thank
4: you. Thank you.